because I knew I was going into somewhere that was that had been dangerous and still was active. And, you know, buildings are blown up and you saw the Taliban driving around in some trucks and that was real. I'm Anakshi Srivastava, your host for Inspiring Explorers, and I welcome you to the show Inspiring Explorers. Each week, I'll be interviewing some of the most successful personalities who will share with us their inspiring life journeys and some of the interesting travel experiences that are not limited to sightseeing. Guys, make sure you share this episode with your friends. Please do subscribe, follow, give a 5-star rating and hopefully a review. And also don't forget to come say hi to me on Instagram at the rate myboho-voyage. For this episode, we have an amazing Irish lady who is an international humanitarian, educator, facilitator, speaker, writer and director of Join Her Network and Unique New Adventures, Una Lapin. Una is a nutritionist, has served in many countries like Africa, Sri Lanka, South Sudan and some of these countries were post-war zones when she worked there like Afghanistan and Iraq. And while she worked in these countries, she had to face many obstacles like extreme weather transitions, health issues, hygiene problems, security issues and more. But none of this made her give up and she did her job with full determination and brought home some amazing experiences and heartwarming memories. And today, through her vast cultural experiences, she tries to educate to look at the world with a different perspective. Now, before I start this episode, let me inform you that we recorded this interview during the COVID-19 lockdown. And hence, the recording was done remotely. We were both sitting in our houses and recorded it online. So please don't mind the background noises and I hope you still enjoy it. So without any further ado, let me welcome our guest for today, the international humanitarian and the director of Join Her Network and Unique New Adventures, the Irish lady and a mother, Una Lapin. Welcome to Inspiring Explorers, Una, and thank you so much for taking out some time for us and make this possible. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so, Una, for beginning, uh, let me start with that you were a nutritionist and a humanitarian. So tell us about what made you choose to become a nutritionist and an international humanitarian. Okay, I'm going to have to go back to when I was a young girl. Um, when I was 10... Um, in 1985, um, you may remember Feed the World, um, when there was money being raised for children who were dying in, in Ethiopia, especially. And I knew then I wanted to do something. I was I just left hospital and I wasn't able to be part of the run to raise money. But I always I always wanted to do something to help people help themselves. OK, so it was very much equity and equality from a very, very young age. And then I jump forward to maybe I'm 16, 17, and I see a picture of two malnourished African children in my school book. Okay. And I saw it and I realized that's what I want to do. I've always loved food. I love to know what's in food. I love to cook. And I've always just had an interest, very much so. So when I saw that picture, I knew that's what I want to do. And that's what I did. Um, so I got my A-levels, as they are in Ireland. I did my undergraduate degree. And I realized I wanted to learn a little bit more about nutrition. My degree was food technology, so very much the science of food. But I wanted to go a little bit deeper. So I did a master's in Scotland, um, in the UK, in international nutrition. Then I couldn't get a job in the field because I had no field experience. So I worked in England for a number of years. The passion hadn't gone. And then finally, I got my break to go into Afghanistan. Afghanistan was my first 
posting as an international nutritionist. And it just, you know, what you see in a book is not what you see in the field. So all my work, I was 26 then, it was 2002. So from the age of, of 10, for 16 years, I knew that's what I wanted to do. It just took me a little bit longer. Um, nutrition element in Afghanistan, and then when I moved to Africa, was the extreme side of it. Okay, so we all need food to live, we all need water to live, but this was the extreme with regards to not having enough food or not having the right food. So that was was very much eye-opening because it's very different seeing it on television to actually seeing it in the flesh, so to speak, and the smells that come with that and the different layers of poverty that comes with that and the stress of the family and the stress of the mother and the father. You don't get that from a lecture in university. So going from being 10 and being very headstrong and determined Irish girl to actually setting out and achieving what I wanted to achieve. And that was to get into the field when I was 26. Wonderful. So um, when uh, these organizations came to you, finally, you wanted to complete your dream and they were with you, asking you to go to Afghanistan and Iran. was there any hesitation before going? Because usually people would say no, because a war was going on. Giving nutrition is a different thing. But when a war is going on in these countries and you still step in, uh, was there any hesitation in your mind? And just to correct, it was Iraq, not Iran. No. Um, okay. Was there any hesitation? Um, no. There was hesitation coming from my family, from my parents. Um, I'm one of five and the middle child. I have been used to sharing on my life and I've been used to helping people help themselves on my life. So for me, maybe there was a small element of will I be safe? The Taliban at the time had fallen in 2002, four months previous. Okay. Um, I live and I was born in Belfast and we had our own issues going on, you know, many, many years ago, but there wasn't so much of I wasn't scared, like frightened, because then I wouldn't have gone. I have a very, very strong sixth sense, Manakshi, and I knew that I'm sensible. And I knew that if I stick, because you do training before you go. So you have a week's training. And I'm, I'm from Belfast, but I went down two hours away to Dublin. And you do a week's training. And it's, it's, it's to give you a little bit of window as to what it's like as a, as a humanitarian. And you ask the different questions. And... Frankly, I knew that the organization I was going with was a was a great organization. It was at the time it was Goal Ireland. I think it's now Goal Worldwide. My, they give first timers the opportunity. So I had no field experience, but they give people the first time you shadow and then away you go. So I knew they had my back. I knew if if the security was not right, that they would protect me and protect the team. I was one of 14. I wasn't the only Irish person either. It was like the United Nations, they were from, from all over the world. But I knew, not being naive, that I would be safe with that organization. And I also knew myself, how I work. I'm very um, process-driven and quite strict when it comes to um, rules. So I knew I wouldn't break curfew. I knew there would be a curfew. And I knew if I really, with my strong sixth sense, if I had felt something, and which I did moving on in my career internationally, I'd remove myself. But initially, I wasn't. I was I was so excited. I. You know, it wasn't I didn't care because I knew I was going into somewhere that was that had been dangerous and still was active. 
and you know buildings are blown up and you saw the Taliban driving around in some trucks and that was real but I was driven to work I was driven home and you traveled in convoy and you had your curfew and you had your handheld radio there were things in place that protected you um but I knew myself that I was just too excited to be honest it had taken me a long time my interview if you don't mind me saying was actually a chat so I was at the time I worked in England for two years and I went down for a chat um and after half an hour they offered me a job and I kind of sat up and I said oh my goodness they offered me a job I didn't realize it was quite relaxed um and I was just so excited I didn't tell my family or friends until it was on, on paper because my initial thought was this is it this is it I am going I've done my studying I've done my work I've got my experience in Newcastle I worked as a um, community nutritionist with families and I knew I could do the job I just wanted the chance to get out so I was okay my family if you spoke to them might be a different story but I knew hand on heart I would be clever and smart not be a martyr because then I can't do my job and just listen to my mind and myself young but I knew that I'll be I'll be fine and if I didn't feel fine I would then ask to to leave and I knew that was an option you know you do you do security training and it's an option you know if you don't feel secure you can leave. It isn't the ideal because expats are the most expensive item on the budget as such um, because of our insurance and our flights and the accommodation. But if something doesn't feel right, even now in my, in my mid-40s, something doesn't feel right, I don't do it. It was the same then in my mid-20s. So no, I wasn't scared. I was too excited, to be honest. I wanted to get in the plane. I had my rucksack. I had my pictures from my wall. I had my journals to write. I wanted to get out. I wanted to do what I've wanted to do for a long time. And that overshadowed maybe a little niggle as to I'm going into a post-war zone, but still quite fresh. Yes. And while these countries were war prone, so was there any hesitation and were the people scared of you? Um, maybe you need to ask them. I don't think so. They did stare. And I will be honest, I stared back. I mean, I'm pale skin. Red hair, although I was scarved. Um, it was a Muslim country and I'm Christian, but out of respect, I scarved immediately. Plus, I didn't want to get my head burnt. It was practical, but initially it was out of respect. And women looked at me with respect, with no language. They knew I was being respectful. So they did stare a lot. Um, but I was myself. I, I was I was me. I, I adhered to the different customs, local customs, particularly as a female. Okay, meaning maybe sitting with the women to eat lunch. As an international, I was seen as an international man, so I could sit with the men. But then I knew when I needed to sit with the women. So I don't think they were scared of me. I did sound different, clearly. I did learn a little bit of the language, diary. Um, and for that, to be respectful and to be able to introduce myself and, you know, at least make people laugh when I when I attempted it, but it was it was my way of attempting to become part of the community, my new family. It was my home for six months, and there was lot, lots of love, and I w- I was taken into local local houses with my assistants, you know, and I was their sister. I still am their sister. We're still in contact. So I don't think they were scared. They they were intrigued. But I wore shower kameezes, so my chest was covered, my arms were covered, my legs were covered. Um, and I had a scarf on, so, but I still looked very different. But no, I don't think I scared anyone. 
Um, but I was mindful of what I talked about, my opinions. I wasn't there for my opinion. I was there to do a job. I wasn't there to take a stand on human rights and female rights. I was there to do a job. I wasn't there as a Christian. I was there in a non-denominational organisation as Una Tohal at the time. I was single to do a job that I've always wanted to do. So I looked different and I sounded different, but I was that to the Afghans. So we stared to each, to each other as much, you know, but, you know, I didn't mind it because I was intrigued with them as, as, I, as I'm sure they were intrigued with me. So how many countries have you traveled so far through your work? Through my work, I believe it was nine. So I started off, well, if I, if I include where I went into and where I went out of and my rest and recuperation, my rest and relaxation in between. So start off. I left Belfast and I then went to London and I flew into Pakistan. So I was in Islamabad for three days to acclimatize, which was a shock because at three o'clock in the morning I arrived and it's like 25 degrees. And there's so many people. It's like it was just my senses just flew into overdrive. So into Afghanistan. Every six weeks you got rest and rest and relaxation. You got R&R. So I went to had the privilege of going to Uzbekistan for my first. And then I went to Turkmenistan in my second. So I came out of Afghanistan and I went to Ethiopia and then moved from Ethiopia to Angola and then Angola to the Middle East. So I started off in, in Kuwait and then Iraq twice with two different organizations, once bitten, twice shy, and then was based in Jordan for a while because Iraq to me was too unsafe. So I removed myself. Um, in between there, I went on R&R to Sri Lanka and Uganda. And then I came home for a while and then from there, I went to West Darfur in South Sudan and then Niger in Africa. And then from Niger, I went to Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, but I mean, before I worked internationally, I was an IST student, an exchange student, and I worked in the Czech Republic. I worked in Prague. I've seen quite a bit of the of the world, which has been amazing. Wonderful. So the countries you have been to have extreme uh, climate conditions, like it's really hot sometimes, sometimes the nights are really cold. So um, how difficult was it to adjust to such extreme climates? Well, it took a while, to be honest. The, 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 the extreme for me, the most extreme on my, on my body um, would be in Iraq. When I went to Iraq, which was southern Iraq, I went to Nazaria, which was very much close to the front line. I went into Iraq a month after Saddam Hussein had fallen in 2003. He fell in the march and I was there a month later. And I got a full forehead full of white spots, white heads and rashes all over under my arms, my legs. My body really didn't know what was going on. Because before Iraq, I had been in Angola. Um, and in Angola, um, it was certain parts of Angola, we had air conditioning. So my body actually thought it was good. So I was pulled out of Angola to go into Iraq. So lots of rashes, lots of going to bed with wet scarves over my body. Um, in, in Afghanistan, when I started off, we had no air conditioning. OK, um, and it was 50 plus 50 degrees plus. Now, here today in Belfast, in Ireland, it is maybe 21. So double and some. 
and we had no air conditioning, so the fans, the, the, the standalone fans just recirculated in warm air. So it was tough. Um, siestas were taken and drinking copious amounts of, of water. Now in Afghanistan, the mornings were warm as well. Um, it didn't really start to get cool until about September, if I'm honest. Africa was cold, particularly Ethiopia was cold in the morning. As soon as the sun came up, it was really, really hot. So when I was doing my survey in Ethiopia, we were in the field for, for 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning in order to finish at 11 o'clock, because once the sun came up, it was unbearable. So, um, and then cool in the evening. So my body went through some, some change. And that's one of the things my take home messages from this is how amazing our bodies are, you know, because I left a fairly cold country. When I left London, it might have been double figures. It might have been 12, 13. And that was the first thing that hit me when I arrived into um, Pakistan was the heat at three o'clock in the morning. Never mind during the day. So some countries I had air conditioning. Some countries I just had to get on with it, if I'm perfectly honest, and take showers or take bucket showers all the time. But um, siestas kind of saved me and knowing when to stop. Um, in Afghanistan, our lunches went from one hour to two hours when the summer came in. So from June to about June, July, August, we had two hours. So we would have eaten and then slept. And it was recommended to sleep. Um, but in Iraq for two days, we had 62 degrees centigrade. And that was because we're, we're, it was in the country we'd get the, the sub-Sahara, we'd get the, um, the winds up. And we had no electricity that day for, t- for one of the days. And it was like water was trickling down my front, down my back. This, I was drinking from my bottle and the sweat was coming out at the same time. So very, as a nutritionist, you had to be mindful of your electrolytes, of your sodium and potassium, so oral rehydration. So just being sensible, always drinking and taking the sleep when recommended, staying out of the sun. I did faint. I did faint in Afghanistan. And I'll tell you the story quickly. It's quite an embarrassment, but they were more worried about me than I was about, about myself. I'd been in the, 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 the houses are made from mud. So they hold the heat during the day. They hold the heat in, in the sun. And they're, sorry, they're cool in the summer and warm in the winter because I hold the heat. And I was surrounded by a group of men, which was quite common. And my translator, who was male as well. And I stood up too quickly. And the next thing I knew, I was in the ground. It was a combination of heat and nerves because I was in a room full of village leaders. And when, when you do surveys, you just don't arrive and do it. You have to speak to the village leaders, the religious leaders, and they have to approve. If you go in and cause offence, you're sent home. And that happened in agency. You have to be respectful to the local customs. So I fainted then. So they were all very worried about me. Oh, Miss Una, Miss Una, are you OK? And they were very worried about me. So I, I rest assured them that I was OK. And I sat in the car with the car running in the shade for the air conditioning. And they carried on without me. They were very worried, very, very worried because they'd welcome me into their their country and they didn't want their country to make me sick. Although I got sick lots of times, but it was the heat. So just being sensible, um, you know, taking naps and, and drinking loads and loads of water and staying out of the sun. The height of the sun, I can't be in the height of the sun anyway, but in the countries I was in, it was extreme. And working my, you know, basing my work around the climate, so not only maybe accessibility to villages, security. Um, Ramadan came in 
over a couple of surveys and different things that I had to take on board and the team and the morale and I had six there were 16 of us in, in, the, in the teams four teams of four so all of that but for me mostly it was it was my heat and you know the Afghans found it warm too and they used to say Mizuna how are you coping but I just knew when to rest and you know go to bed with no clothes on with the wet scarf over me because it was it was hot it was very very hot but that was one of the challenges that I suppose proved to me how amazing our bodies are you know if you came to my country um I mean actually you would find it freezing yes and so it was difficult but I I got on with it it was it was my job but over time I actually got used to it you know but when I was in Iraq for the first time when I adjusted for a month I went home for a friend's wedding and when I came back my body had to readjust again so the same things across my forehead and the same rashes but then you just conformed your body and I, I find it very amazing to think I'm Irish and I'm, I, I live in not a very hot country but I managed to cope 45 plus for maybe five years you know and it's okay my, I have memory cells now I can go to different countries and I know what I need to do but in the countries I was in, mostly outside of a number in Africa, I was covered. My, my skin was covered, so I knew it wasn't getting burnt. And I just had to be sensible. So it was, it was, it was tough, but I just got on with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. In some countries that you worked, like uh, in Niger and uh, other parts, uh, there were no electricity and proper hygiene conditions. So I also saw your shower room which was very basic. So how did you yes. manage and adjust to all of that? Um, I, and mm-hmm. also, did uh, did for once in your mind, did it come that I in excitement said yes and should I leave now? <laughs> because the conditions are tough. No, I didn't. I only removed myself from a country because of security. Um, the hygiene was limited, yes. And I, I, I did I did what I what I could and when I was in, in Niger I kept everything off the floor. And I didn't use, for example, for my porridge I used um, powdered milk rather than water. Um, I had to be very careful from a personal perspective because I would get very, very sick. Dysentery and, and whatnot. So but when I was in Afghanistan you're you're encouraged to use local water. And there's a syndrome that I've called the welcome syndrome. So for two weeks, you are never away from the bathroom. Okay. You have DNV, you have vomiting and you have diarrhea because your body is just going, what is going on? Because there's things in, in water all across the world that can make you quite sick. So we cleaned our teeth with the local water and we built up the resistance to that because when we spoke previous to this, I lived there. I didn't travel there. So when I lived there, I had to I had to adjust. I had to say, right, I'm here for longer. What do I need to do? It isn't just fly in, fly out. So I, I, I cleaned my teeth with local water in Afghanistan. The hygiene was was yeah, it was it was difficult. It was difficult it was different and difficult to see as well. Because particularly in lots of African countries, there's a lot of stagnant water that children played in and people drank from. Because that was all, that was all they had. That's all they had. 
And that was hard to see because I knew standing there watching going, if I drank that, it actually could kill me. Um, and malaria was rife, you know, with the mosquitoes around the stagnant water. So malaria rates were very, very high in those particular countries. So they never put me off. My shower rims were very basic. But what I discovered is you don't actually need that much water to clean yourself. You know, you have a bucket. You have one bucket to wet yourself. You, you wash yourself. You have one bucket to rinse. And if you're going to do your hair, you maybe have three buckets. So for me, it opened my eyes as to how much water is actually wasted in showers. Now, I'm not saying here, now back at home, I don't take a, I don't use, I try and be mindful of my water use. But it didn't put me off. It was it was challenging. I In lots of countries, you squat when you go to the toilet. So my, my thighs were pretty damn muscular <laughs> at the end. So in Afghanistan, in our house was three levels. Okay, if you can, it was a big, big house, and the the bottom, the ground floor had one toilet, a sit down toilet, and the rest were squats, latrines. So for two weeks, the running joke was you leave downstairs free for the newbies. It takes about two weeks for things to adjust internally, with the different food as well as the heat as well as the water, and then after two weeks, you use the upstairs toilet because you need to be near a sit down if you're going to be in the bathroom for a long period of time. Sorry to be so graphic, but that's the true reality of going somewhere. You know, you hear people, you know, having the 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 the, the bad the, the iffy stomachs. You can have that, I suppose, if you're on holiday for two weeks and then you come back and you have to adjust. But I can't be I couldn't have been sick all the time. Then I couldn't have done my job. So some of the sites I saw, I just had to improvise. Um, on occasion, I was lucky just to have water. You mentioned the electricity. It was, I became very creative, really creative. And again, realizing you don't actually need that much. So you get up with the sun and you go to bed when there's no sun. So you had to work around that. In certain countries, particularly in, in Ethiopia, um, the resources were limited. I didn't photocopier was limited. I used carbon paper in the field in Ethiopia. I worked in the far region. So you make a mistake and you start again. And with electricity, you just work with what you had. Um, the term city power, you may or may not have heard of that, is you know when it's going to be on and you know that's when you do your work, but sometimes it wasn't on. So frustrating. I'm not going to sit here and lie. It wasn't frustrating. Um, and it's one of the things now when I'm home, I do like a gratitude update every Friday. And um, that was in one of them. We flick a switch in Belfast. It's here. We turn the tap. The water's there. It's clean. It's fresh. That isn't across the world. And I'm trying to now and bring that forward as to how lucky we actually are, where I, where I come from and what we do have. So limited, frustrating initially. But then that's where I was going. I didn't sign up to go live in a five-star hotel in Mazar-e-Sharif, in the Afar region, in um, different cities and, and different villages for my work. I knew what I was getting myself in for. So I knew that was going to be part of it. So it's something that you have to take on board. And, you know, if, if anybody listening to this ever thinks about humanitarian work as a career, you have to be mindful that there will be limitations. But from those limitations are positives. 
you know, we talked a lot as teams. We gelled very quickly. So that's the one common thing. And you get to know when to give a hug, when not to give a hug. And yes, it's difficult when there's no electricity. But in Afghanistan, when we had a couple of um, electricity lightouts, the stars fell from the sky because it has the most beautiful, um, what's it called, galaxy or Milky Way. So some of the, the skies I've seen across the globe are priceless. And that's from no electricity. Limiting in the, in, the, in the villages and where I was at because not to be heavy and to be serious, but I was measuring malnutrition in children under five. So when you're in maybe a hut in Africa or a mud house in Afghanistan and they've no running water, the water is from a well, they've limited of no electricity. You know, all of that has an impact on health. You know, so I don't think they would see my aspect of the lovely sky, but that's my Western eyes looking at it, you know, with respect to me and respect to them. So tricky and difficult and you have to be mindful of the recommendations you're making for families because it isn't a given that they have access to healthcare as well as electricity. So I, I conformed and I got I, I worked around it, but I'm not going to sit here and lie that it wasn't frustrating. And I slept really well because I was tired. And then you get up with the sun and then you would see a different skyline. You know, so I think things do change, but the water was hard to see with the, with the children. And then when I was promoting health promotion, being mindful of hygiene and good hygiene, you know, and forgetting my education from the West and from a a country that's developed and has these amenities at the touch of a button to be in boiling water, you know, leaving water out in the sun. Um, But also the water that that was taken from Wales was very limited. So you became mindful of, okay, this is what these individuals from those countries are working with. How do I tailor my training and my promotion around those people? Not my education from the West. It's what I'm seeing now. So I had to adapt and become very creative and take my theory and throw it in the air sometimes and become very practical. As I said at the start, you know, what I saw in a book when I was 17 in school is not what it was like in the field. No way. But... What I hope is from my, as you say, my new adventure at the start is unique new adventure is to take people on that journey and just have maybe a little bit of a window as to what it was like. Because if I'd have had that before I went, it isn't the same. It'll never be the same. You could tell me to come to India and it's wonderful. And it's, but until I actually go there, I won't know it, you know? So that's my thinking. So I'm trying to, to bring that learning forward. So frustration, um, but then, I have skills now I never would have had if I hadn't have worked away and lived away. And things don't annoy me now. You know, at the moment, I mean, the COVID and being and staying, as I say, rather than maybe lockdown or lock-in, you know, I've been used to that before internationally. You know, so I can't, I can't move. Well, that's okay. But look what we have. I have a home. I have heat. I have electricity. I have water. I have access to a garden. I can still go to the doctors if I need to. So there's things, I look at things differently now that I wouldn't have if I hadn't seen the other parts of the world that don't have that. But one thing I do want to say is, even all of that on board, the generosity and the love and the welcome and the joy 
even though people were living in under the poverty line what I'm used to and not having those amenities was amazing such love and such generosity when some families I saw had nothing I mean I was offered lunch in the field and people had nothing and they still wanted to give me something so they, they always had something from nothing just to show their appreciation for the work that I was doing with the organization I was there with that was so beautiful so you also got to attend some of the weddings in these areas you were invited into saloons you got to have meals with them so tell me how beautiful that feeling was it was it really warmed my heart because i was being welcomed into a family that wasn't mine but it felt like family so i had a number of of ladies lunches in afghanistan with my afghan sister zora and we're still friends she lives now in america with her family and i remember going in and her mother took my head i would have had my scarf around my neck coming into her compound and her mother took it off and i was welcomed into her home and i was her sister i was her sister and there was that was it her mother fed me at one time because they eat with their hands and i just couldn't i couldn't grasp it and I have a vivid memory of her mother feeding me, you know, and I ate for two hours. I mean, it was just humbling, really, really humbling. And on occasion, I used to sit back and just think how amazing this is. I was a stranger, but they treated me like one of their own, you know. So, and I went to a number of weddings. I went to a wedding in um, in uh, Iraq. I was invited into the, the, the around Iraq. three days the women the men one day women one day men and then together the third day and i was invited in um it was one of the doctors on the team one of his family members getting married and i was just i find it hard to put into words i was taken aback because they would when they're celebrating so i arrived and i'm here in the and it's like oh my goodness you know they were celebrating me being there but I was celebrating the fact that I was welcomed into into a room surrounded by women and I actually couldn't communicate with him because my translator at the time was male so he couldn't come in so hands gestures and laughing and just improvising so it was such a joy and a privilege to be to be welcomed so yes I look different I sounded different I didn't have the language, I had a different religion, I had a different skin colour. I came from a different, totally different part of the world, two or three flights away. But yet I was one of them. I was one of them. So I never felt insecure. I never felt out of place. I always knew, I, I, I'm Irish, I'm very proud to be Irish. I always knew I was there for a moment in time. But I became, they became my family, my second family. You know, so it was just an absolute honor. So on occasion, I would I would get quite emotional because I would be lost in conversation because I had a little bit of diary. And of course, I had, I had Zora who spoke English. But then I, sometimes I said, no, I don't want to translate it. I just want to absorb the atmosphere. And on a couple of the, the when the survey finished, we went to Zora's house and it was a, and with a lot of the female surveyors. And I got to see them without their headscarves. So they're beautiful, beautiful dark hair compared to my redhead. Their skin, their makeup, their gorgeous clothes, their jewelry. And we just danced. I learned how to dance, 
you know, as an Afghan. And it was just, I found photographs recently um, because I kept journals when I worked internationally as a way to, I suppose, process what I saw initially and to keep record because I thought this is this is such an honour and I really don't want to forget this. And I found some pictures of, of myself and the ladies dancing, which I will never share because they're not scarved and they're my personal photographs. I'm very mindful of that and respectful of that. But you can just see the joy in our faces. And they were seeing a different side of me because in the survey we're working and it's hot and we've work to do. Um, and in Afghanistan at that time, particularly the burqas then were off. Traditionally, women would have worn burqas. So I was seeing them as them and they were seeing me as me. You know, and they were all looking fabulous and I was in my work gear, my own shower. But it was just, it, I never felt out of place. And Zora's mother called me her daughter. You know, and that's such a, that's such an honour, considering six months prior, I'd never met Zora nor her mother. And in Afghanistan, they sit on the floor to eat, you know. So I joke about my shower kameez. The trousers had elasticated, elasticated trousers. So I was able to eat for two hours because, you know, it's the best food. Everything is, you know, everything is, is there. Um, and you eat and you eat and you eat. And the hospitality of the capital H, it's phenomenal. You know, as I say, they were just they were just happy for me to be there. So it felt really, really good. It felt very heartwarming and such a privilege and honour to be welcomed into their home where, where, where you wouldn't get that ordinarily. You wouldn't be invited to, if you visited, let's say if the country was open and you could fly in, you wouldn't get that. Um, so it was, it, was, it was excellent. I say it with a huge smile on my face and you can tell by my voice, it's, it's brilliant. And when I think about those experiences, I just think, wow, you know, thank you to them. So wonderful, wonderful every time. So there was a time uh, when you had uh, a chance to meet Jolie, but you missed it by one day. Yes. So what happened? Um, okay. Yes, I had worked in a number of Muslim countries and had never, um, and Ramadan was, was on throughout the work, and I'd never attempted Ramadan. Now, I'm a Christian, so I have no need to attempt, but I wanted to have a different layer of empathy because the people still worked, you know, and particularly in South Sudan, it is hot and they still worked in the field. So I thought I'll try. So I spoke to my boss and she said, as long as it doesn't affect your work, of course. So myself and my colleague, who I'm still in contact with, Canadian lady, we, we tried. But on the fifth day, I collapsed. So what I didn't know, because I'm not a Muslim, is you, you know, you don't eat from, from sunrise to sunset during Ramadan. Um, but you get up in the middle of the night and eat often. But I didn't know that. How would I know that? No one told me. So the days are really hard, really, really hard. And I wasn't hydrating myself during the night. But it was really, really, I have to say, it was absolutely amazing the five days because my body changed. And they used to say to me, Miss Una, you look more beautiful. And I used to look at my, I looked at myself and my skin was different and you smelt things differently. It was a different perspective. So um, I then was medically evacuated out of, I was in West Darfur. I was in Janina. So I flew into Khartoum. Then you fly, you take two flights to 
to the farthest you can go. I believe it's on the border of Chad. I hope my geography is right. And my, my boss didn't take any risks, basically. Um, you talk, we talked about water before. The water there had to be boiled and filtered. We had to push at the time, the people I was with, for them to apply, for them to supply water, bottled water, because they weren't. So long story short, I was, I was medically evacuated out on the plane to Khartoum, to a clinic. And the next day, Angelina Jolie arrived to where I was. Um, and I've told the story before and friends of mine say, she missed you by a day. You didn't miss her. And I know she's a UN ambassador. I missed her. Well, there's a photograph I have of her with my boss, Amy, an American lady, a wonderful, wonderful lady. And I often think, what if? But I wasn't meant I wasn't meant to meet her. If I was meant to meet her, I would have met her. So I stayed in Khartoum for two weeks. I stayed in the clinic for a number of days. I was severely dehydrated. My body's way was saying, you have to stop. So uh, subsequently, my colleague who was doing it with me went back on eating normally. Um, I laugh about it now because I told my colleagues when I came back and they said, what? You didn't eat during the night? You're supposed to get up during the night and eat. Well, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a Muslim. So, but there was a lot of um, respect for me attempting. Little bit of, I wish I'd managed the whole time. But your health is your wealth. And I've been sick a number of times, including malaria. And, you know, I can't do my job. I was there to do my job. I wasn't there to make a point. I wasn't there to be, look at me, I'm wonderful doing this. It was my job, it was my career. So if I can't do my job, what's the point of me being there? So yes, I missed her by a day. Maybe I'll meet her one day. We're the same age, believe it or not. But, you know, it was, I needed, I was taken, I was accompanied by my friend Aibo, a, a um, Sudanese man. And I was taken to a clinic and I was in a drip for a number of days. And I rested for two weeks and then I went, I went back in, I went back in. So, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is, I suppose, but you know, it's, it's would have, would have been wonderful to have, to have met her, but it, it didn't take away from what I, what I was doing, but it just, you know, who knows, I may, I may try Ramadan again, but it was just, I, I just wanted to have a different understanding. I really a different understanding because I was so welcomed. And they very much respected my religion. Because when I worked in Niger, they were, I worked with Christians and Muslims. And we both respected each other. You know, we, we worked side by side as, as one should. Um, when I worked in Iraq, um, when I went to Baghdad, I was based in Baghdad for a while. There were Christians and Muslims together. I worked with some Christians, I worked with some Muslims. So I equality and equity is, is very much, you know, me um so you know there's, there's there's no problem but maybe i'll try ramadan again but yes that's my story that i missed the superstar angela julie by, by one day or she missed me <laughs> <laughs> well at least you were safe because you were dehydrated like a lot Ab dehydrated. absolutely you know that all of that went by the wayside my boss was like that's it you're you know she got me in a plane she said, I'm not taking any chances because Janina, when we talked about amenities, we talked about water and electricity. The roads were sand. Okay. We got our water 
to our to our compound. They called the donkey water. The water was taken from a well, and they were like tire um, tanks on the back of a donkey taken to our tank, and that's what we used to get washed. So that was our access as an international, and then we finally got water to drink. So the hospitals limited limited medication hygiene none so the 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 answer was and I didn't want to go I really didn't want I said I'm fine I'm fine I'm resilient I'm fine I'm headstrong I'm determined I won't be doing my job and my boss said no you're leaving and I and yeah I was severely malnourished so I was very lucky that I had such a fabulous boss and and that's when we talked at the very beginning about feeling anxious and scared you know maybe there was an element of my boss being frightened that it would get worse and then I'm stuck and in these countries I, I have to also say um then actually is that you're limited to flights out there are flights out now in Afghanistan every day I did travel to Kabul a number of times but they're limited so the flights out of Janina and West are for well, maybe once a day, once every two days from memory. So if I hadn't have gone on a particular flight at a particular time, I'm stuck. It's a huge risk, you know, a huge, huge risk. So, yes, so that's, I mean, of course, the take home is I was okay. So I got myself well again and I went back in. And everybody was very concerned and we we joked about it, and as I said, when I, I then I would have gone to breaking the fast with my colleagues, and that was an experience I forgot to mention. You know, I was going into local Sudanese homes with my colleagues, and the men were all dressed in their distaches and pure pure white, and the food was in the tape was on the ground, and I'd never seen food eaten so quickly in my entire life. It was just gone, you know. And we listened to Bob Marley and we told stories, and you know it was amazing. But they laughed at me. They were like, wow. But I, so now I, so I learned everything. I learned every day. You know, I explored Ramadan. I explored fasting. And now I know you get up in the middle of the night and you eat. <laughs> you don't just get up and have one bowl of, you know, you don't just get up from your dinner and have your porridge before the sun comes up and you're okay. So, yes. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> you tried Ramadan. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful experience. Yes. Yeah. It was hard. <laughs> I've never seen, I mean, I talk about this when I was, I worked with Sudanese and they're African, they're, 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 they they call themselves black. I hope I'm not offending anybody with this. And their skin was pale because they weren't eating. And the food drops were coming in with World, with World Food Program. They couldn't get some, the roads were, were sand. So the food was coming in from the air really early in the morning and they were going out lifting physical work lifting and bringing back to our stores and then working in the heat not drinking and not eating and that's why i wanted to have a little bit of a window as to what it was like knowing it was for a certain period i suppose to compare it's a bit little bit i mean i'm a, I'm a catholic i'm a roman catholic a little bit about like lent you know where um on the lead up to Easter or my religious my religious event um where you you don't some people fast some people eat fish every Friday but you go off something or you go on something um 
But Ramadan is going off everything that you consume and drink. So it's very different. But they 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 were respectful of me attempting, but they were glad I was okay, obviously. And I was glad I was okay too. <laughs> I'm glad too. Yeah. <laughs> we're all glad. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, please share with us at least uh, any one adventure, any one, uh, which is um, something that you remember a lot. uh something very close to your heart or um, any adventure that you remember i suppose the first time in the field the very very first time um because it was very it was i found it very emotional because for the want of trying to get away for so long and i have a photograph and i'm wearing the head scarf is my mother's I look about 60 which I'm not but I have a, I have a measuring tape around my neck and I have both Zora and my other assistant Ramesh on either side and I am grinning like a Cheshire cat because that was it that was the moment when I took my theory into practice I was in a mud house scarfed measuring a measuring a child to see if he or she was malnourished dressed appropriately you know haven't been in the country for maybe um a number of weeks a number of weeks yes and that was it this was me i was going live i was putting all my energy all my passion all my training all my studies into practice and that was it and it was like yes this is start and then from that you know i did my time in afghanistan and before i left afghanistan i've i was going through my my journals i was offered sudan but then it changed to ethiopia and so as soon as i did one piece of work in a in a one mission one posting in a country my world opened but until i got that opening i was getting nothing So I think for me and and I I have left a piece of my heart in Afghanistan. I definitely have because they welcomed me in and they allowed me to be there not as an Afghan as an Irish lady as part of an organization and that's where I started. That's where I started. So I have a very very fond memory. So I think that to me is 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 pinnacle. I have a number of of stories, you know, that were very surreal. Um one in particular just to add is the time in in Baghdad i was very sick and i went to the green zone and and i had to give a urine sample to to the man i was seeing the doctor and i was in one of Saddam Hussein's golden bathrooms golden taps wow and yeah even when i said now it's like that happened you know i shouldn't have been in the green zone and the doctor said how did you get in here um at the time the security officer for the organization i was with was a french foreign legion had been and he was pushing me to get in and he said how did you get past security but you hear now so i'll see you i had sciatica when i was in iraq um which was tough and then as it turned out something else transpired from that visit which i didn't know i had so it was good but that's another kind of surreal moment where i'm in the i'm sitting on a golden toilet this is kind of wow yeah <laughs> yeah i know and i and so again cool. said how did you and it was christmas time it was the one time i missed christmas from home the one time and that time 
we had Christmas with an organization on Christmas Eve. We celebrate on Christmas Day here at home, Christmas Eve. So Christmas Day, I was in my shorts looking at the most beautiful blue sky. And it was that was that was different. But yeah, so there's there's lots of different things that I'm remembering. But I think the most pinnacle is the day I went to the field. I actually went to the field as an international nutritionist, as Una Tohal at the time, I made a name. This is this is where things have just just took off from there, you know, and it was kudos to the organization because they give first timers a chance. Because there's lots of people, you know, want want to work internationally, you know, and if I can inspire people just to, to, to keep at it and stay at it, because I had to persist. I applied everywhere, everywhere. And then back in the day where you would have had an application form with your picture on it, you can't do it now, you know. And I had the qualifications, I had the passion, and I got letters back saying it's all very well being a technical expert, but you have no field experience. But I kept, I'm a very determined, determined girl, and my dad tells a familiar story. When I was younger, I was asthmatic, and I weaned myself off my medication. I didn't want to be dependent on my inhalers. So I was nine or ten, and I did that. So I was determined to go. So I, my one thing is keep at it, keep trying, you know, and gold gave me that opportunity. Half the team were newbies. Half the team were, were you know, so when people were coming in, the big eyes and the, oh my, you know. But I'd been there, you're there a couple of weeks, you're there a couple of days, and I, I loved it. I knew the door opened in the plane, the heat, the different language, the, the dark, dark beards of the men, you know, the, I mean, I was in an airport and there was there were guns there and there was army, different languages and the smells and the sugary tea and the cigarettes. And it was just like, oh, I remember leaving the airport and the bottom of the airport road, there was a little donkey and a little boy with his donkey. It's, you know, there are horses, there were donkeys and horses and carts back then and nothing was wasted. There was no, you know, everything was recycled. He was staring at me, I was staring at him, and it was like I'm back in time. Two days, three days, I loved it. I loved it. But that photograph, and I have it, and it's like that's that for me would be the pinnacle. I've done it. I've got there. I've persevered. I've tried. I lived in England for two years to get experience, and that helped me. So I had to become very creative. I said, I want to go. I want to go. What can I do? And I stuck at it. I didn't give up. I could have given up, but it's not my character to give up. So that photograph, I look at it and I smile. I remember the smiles. I remember the day. I remember the moment. And someone took a picture of me. And I have that now forever. So that would be. But I could talk all day. There's lots of different things. But that is, that is, that's the one. This is my career. This is, I've got there. This is all me. And I'm going to make this work. And it's going to be fabulous. So ever are you... Uh thinking of publishing these journals so that you can enrich the lives of other people through your stories. Well, I, I, I don't know, just, just for you, I don't know if you, this is, this is my Afghan journal. Okay, so I reviewed, I've made little notes. That's, it's a physical journal, it's physical words. People oh. often query. Um, I wrote, I wrote in this, I mean, at the very, very start. Um, but I've, I've almost finished Afghanistan. So I maybe have seven or eight to go 
it's been it's it's a long process. I have to be honest, um, Minakshi, because I'm working full time. Um, I've started my own business as Unique New Adventure. Um, I'm also a director of Join Her, a new network from last year, and we're beginning to take off with different things that we're doing. And I'm a mother of two young boys, so my plate is full, but I'm absolutely loving it. So I have an idea in my head. I mean, I went in in 2002, and I think it'd be wonderful to have it complete by 2022, so 20 years. Now, I know the countries have changed. I know things have changed, but cultures haven't changed, and customs haven't changed. Weather hasn't changed. Food hasn't changed. Security has changed, but this is the, it's very much, it's my experiences, and it's my stories. And it's my interpretation of what it was like, you know, my personal photographs. So it is a work in progress. I will let you know. And we're friends now, so we'll, we'll keep in contact. I'm starting to release individual stories. I released something um, from Niger about an incident when I went for a run and wild dogs, you know, and, and my saviour coming. I mean, it was, when I think about it now, it makes me shiver, you know, and I've, and I've done... Um, I've written up the piece about seeing the first malnourished child. The first one is the hardest. So I'm starting to try and increase my presence. I don't want to give too much away, but it's 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 day to day. At the moment, that's what it's looking like. So I'm typing it up as it is. Um, I've spoken to some people, and whether it's one book or six books or it's different themes or it's different events, I don't know. But I, I, I want to share it. Um, I... The benefit in meeting different people and being exposed to different religions and customs and cultures, I would highly recommend anybody. You know, I I went away and I came back and, I, you know, I'm not the Una I was when I left. It didn't kill me. You know, it made me stronger. It made me more resilient. It made me more appreciative of what I have here. And I want to bring that forward. It was only last year I went up to my attic. And I have lots of artifacts from around the world, different materials, gleams and carpets and female dress as I bought for educational purposes. I want to pass it on. I want that to be my legacy for my children. You know, I'm a, also currently, I'm a concerned worldwide ambassador um, to keep myself engaged with humanitarian um, issues and what, what has happened at the moment. Because I have young children, I'm not in the field. I do want to go back to the field, but I will not do emergency like before. Niger was development. It was secure. Um, it was, it was um, community mobilization. It was moving the community to help themselves. The others were emergency. As a mother now, I can't go and hold a sick, dying child as I did before. Give me two, three years. I would like to go back to the field in my capacity, maybe in my new, my, my, my new business or maybe in work as a humanitarian again, because it is something that will never leave me, never leave me. And I would like people, I hope to find it interesting. Anybody I've spoken to has said, I can't wait to read your stories. They are stories, but it's my life, you know, and it's, it's, it's the reality of what it's like as a humanitarian, but it's positive. Things happen day to day. Children still go to school. The markets are still there. Yes, with the insecurities, 
I mean, I went to the big, I went to the third biggest blue mosque in the world on New Year's Day in Afghanistan. They hadn't celebrated New Year for years before because of the Taliban, and I was there. You know, sacred, sacred mosques. A mosque, a mosque in um, Uzbekistan. Beautiful, beautiful blue mosques. You know, able to things that I only ever probably dreamt of. Countries I had to physically look on a map to find. So I want to impart this. That you can, you can travel, you can, you can change your mind and your thinking, and variety and diversity. You know, I'm bringing it home now to the work that I do. It's an education, and now as as respect that education, I'm passing that on. You know, because if, I think if you stay where you are, and don't experience different things, I mean the differences I've talked about, but even just the different ways of thinking, different ways of working different mindsets, different work ethics. That all, that all makes you a different person for the good. And that's why, you know, the book is a legacy to my two children. They know what I've done. My eldest, who's eight, describes me as I used to help people. He thought I was a nurse or a doctor. And I talked to him about what I, what I used to do. We talk about it. Don't waste water. Don't waste food. You know, we're lucky. We'll have electricity. We do gratitude every night. You know, he needs to know how privileged we are and that's part of it and it's not look at me I'm wonderful it's not like that this was my job and I want to talk about it and I want to pass on my learning if anybody wants to do it you can do it and it's eye-opening and it's a real privilege and honor to be able to see parts of the world because the world is a small place so that's it is coming it's just not as quick as I thought but it's, it's definitely coming the train has left the station and it's not going back and we're looking forward to it. Good, good. Now you're working on uh, Join Her Network and Unique New Adventures Limited. Yes. So please throw some light on it. What is it about and what are you doing in it? Well, with with my own Unique New Adventure, it's, it's around an international education from across the globe to the eyes of a humanitarian. So it's including um, public speaking, and including podcasts and my stories, um, education, exhibitions, and workshops. I have done a number of workshops last year around Afghan culture and Iraq culture. Now, I'm mindful I'm not Afghan and I'm not Iraqi, but it's through the eyes of a humanitarian, so I speak about my experiences. So it's very practical. I have my rug and we sit in the ground and we talk through, we find the country initially, and then we talk to the country and then we bring it to life and it's open. So it's very, my work is very practical and, and, and that's how I see it going forward. It is in development, but I wanted to go live because I want, I didn't want to lose, if I'm honest, lose my name. It's an acronym to my name, UNA, so Unique New Adventure. And I want to bring you on a unique new adventure to the, through my eyes as a humanitarian, just to start the conversation about different things what female, females were across the globe, what type of food we eat, how we act, what, how our way we think can change things. So it's bringing everything that I have learnt from the five years um, to life as a, as, a, as, a, as a Western. So currently it's been a number of workshops, practical workshops. So I'm having to be creative now in this, in this stay in period um, 
a lot of it is focusing on my my journals and my stories. So I'm slowly beginning to to release work, and that's part of part of the of the work. So it's an international education. It's a re-education. That's that would be from a, from around the world through the eyes of a humanitarian. So a lot of the work that I've been doing, mean, an exhibition of my of my artifacts, of my pictures, of my paintings. Hold it, feel it, smell it, talk about it. You know, I have a burqa from Afghanistan, traditionally worn at that time. It's handmade. Try it on. Don't try it on. How do you feel? African dress. I have an abaya from Iraq. It's black. Try it on. Let's talk about it. Let's look at the print. Those types of things that I think it's an honor to have. Different metal works, different copper works from Afghanistan and Iraq. Traditional, you know, the traditional roles of men, men and women. So a lot of it, my work so far has been with children. Okay, so children like interactive. So that's why I sit on the floor and let's have a chat. Ask me the awkward questions. How did I get there? You know, what it was like. You know, how hot it gets, how cold it gets. Because some people don't look beyond where they, where they live or where they holiday. What I want to do is widen that net and look at other countries. You may never visit but what is the harm in learning something different? Because now within Belfast, the canvas of Belfast looks very different. Okay, there's lots of different um, individuals from around the world in my city coming with different skills and abilities and ways of thinking. So if you could learn a little bit about that culture or that religion, well, why not is my, is my answer. Because it's for the betterment of yourself, you know. My it's very much let let me help create global citizens for the next generation. But I want to focus on the educational the educational part with, with children, um, and that then moves me on to join her as well. It's from international humanitarian, the global issues, and then the local issues. So humanity issues, homelessness, food and fuel poverty, you know, issue, period poverty. You know, issues that people may not necessarily feel comfortable talking about, but are big, big issues. So with Join Her, I'm one of seven. We're all from around the world, now based in Belfast. And we came together last year to reignite passions through stories, pass on self-belief for individuals. I mean, it's reignited me. I'm a walking example of Join Her. It's very much you belong rather than fitting in. So you want women to come as you are. Come as you are. What you do, how you feel. Be yourself and be courageous, be vulnerable, and let us assist you to maybe get you where you want to become, where you want to go. I want to be a writer, a published writer. I want to start my own business. I've done them both because it's given me the confidence and belief that I can do it. So we're looking at different areas that are important. We find a niche to do things a little bit, a little bit more creatively, you know, with the values of equality and inclusion and what we say is variety and diversity. So we're all, diversity sometimes people can think of just, I suppose, skin color or hair color, whereas that isn't the case. Diversity goes a lot deeper than that. So, you know, people on the network here from all over the world, you know, so we have variety in our diversity. We launched officially there in March of this year in, in, a, in the Merchant Hotel in Belfast. And it was, you know, 100 women from all over. Different shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds. Everybody was welcome. And it's variety and diversity. You can 
do what you want and we're there to support you however you feel you need to be supported so that's join her and it's given me as i said the confidence now and the belief for me to officially start my own business that is a very beautiful venture and very unique as well uh, yeah yeah with a strong message okay uh, so a message for our audience if you want to do something you will find a way to do it and do it next one is say yes and then think about it you'll work it out i said yes to that talk last march and now look i'm a two, i'm a direct two directors and two different things and look at what you have rather than looking for what you don't have there's so much so so much and i believe that's why i upload gratitude articles about let's look at what you have rather than always looking for things you want to get forgetting what you actually have beside you because we don't need that much so and also to live the cultures not just go sightseeing while you're traveling of course yes traveling and living are two different things in my eyes but when you travel you're still exposed to things that you wouldn't have been to if you hadn't have traveled so yes get on a plane and explore the world absolutely if you can live somewhere that's brilliant but just even traveling to expose yourself to to all things different you will you will improve and you will become a global citizen and then you you know you can when people talk about different things and different issues you have a different slant you have something to add to conversation rather than just always being a listener i suppose with traveling is mine my very final take home is be respectful to where you're at respect everything where you go because it's a saying when in rome you've been allowed to visit or live in that country so when you're in that country i feel is do what is respectful for the different customs and cultures and what not you're exposed to yes uh and how can our audience connect with you and if they want to join the join her network how can they uh, contact you well they can contact me directly i am on is join her network on facebook i'm on instagram i'm on um twitter lapin una l a p p i n u n a we have a website well so thank you so much una for being on the show and i'm sure the audience will learn a lot uh, we cannot cover everything from una's life and adventures but yes we are waiting for the journal we're definitely yes. looking forward to it okay thank you so much So this was Una's story so far of staying strong and being determined to follow her heart no matter the challenges faced and I'm always excited to listen to her vast cultural knowledge and I hope that you loved listening to these amazing exploring experiences of hers as well thank you so much for giving your precious time to this podcast if this episode was inspiring and insightful please do drop a comment on my Instagram and YouTube at the rate my boho voyage Please do subscribe and give a 5-star rating and hopefully write a review for Inspiring Explorers. Also, please don't forget to connect with me on Instagram and YouTube. Drop me a hi 
or send me a comment so that I know we are in this journey together. This is Manakshi Shrivastava, your host for Inspiring Explorers, saying goodbye. See you next week with an amazing, inspiring interview. Till then, take care.